Okay, I see some people smiling and laughing silently about that. Oregon weather. So kind of unpredictable, but every day somebody predicts it. Um, the best way to predict the weather, uh, and by the way, I'm not talking about the swim barbecue anymore. I don't know if you'll notice I'm transitioning um, into influence. Um, the best way to tell what's going to happen with the weather is to go outside and look up. Okay? So in our lives, we have different seasons, just like we do here in Oregon. And uh, in some of those seasons, it feels like it's raining, and uh, we got to decide what to do. Do we run and hide, um, or do we do what the creator of my shoes um, did? I'll just give you a peek at these if you can see them. I go like that. Um, you see the little swoosh on the side? It says Pastor Tom, too. I got these for doing a wedding for Evanson Bernard a couple weeks ago, and he had these custom-made but um, the, the maker of these shoes had an idea, and I think the idea came from Oregon weather. Okay? You make your plans, and you three words, everybody together, just do it. Okay? So that's kind of what life is like sometimes. Um, I learned several years ago as a youth pastor my first six years that people that came into my life were going to um, come and go. And it's kind of like rain. It comes and goes. Sometimes it stays too long, and sometimes you want it back. So here's the second picture. Yesterday, uh, my wife and I and my older son had made plans to go to Clear Lake, a beautiful Clear Lake with petrified forest below it, and kayak around the lake. But as we began to ask the experts about the weather on my phone, um, we determined that there was going to be unpredictable, scattered uh, thunder showers, and there's a little picture of lightning there. And I've heard uh, mixed opinions on whether it's safe to be in the water during lightning. So since it was so far away, um, we, we started looking closer. So we looked at the weather in Newport, and it said 58, cloudy. Uh, and then Corvallis is at least going to be 80 at some point in the day for a while. So we completely changed our plans we looked at the weather in Eugene and said we've got this window from like 11 to 3, according to the weather, of, of being sunny and clear. So we loaded our bikes up instead and went down to ride this um, loop around the Willamette River. And as we were going down, we saw four uh, dark clouds and streaks of lightning right where we were headed. <laughs> and I don't know why I thought about it so much. I was almost obsessed with it. I'm counting. Not how long between the thunder and the lightning streaks, but how many streaks in the direction we're going. And all of a sudden, we turned and went toward Eugene, and the thunder and the lightning was all over here, and it looked clear. So we got to the Valley River Mall, got our bikes out, got on our bikes, got on the bike trail, and it started raining. <laughs> so we're like, okay, we're going. We don't have jackets, short sleeve shirts, you know, shorts. We're going around, I guess, would be the, the west side of the trail, coming back on the other side of the river, across from Valley River. And my son pulls up next to me and he goes, this rain's kind of cool, huh? I mean, really, he says, it's kind of hot out and the rain is really refreshing. This is awesome. I'm like, yeah, it is. It is pretty awesome, you know, and sometimes it's the rain in our life that brings the refreshment. So we went on down the trail, we hit sun and then shadow and then rain again and um, had a great day. And I forget how I was going to tie all this up. <laughs> it wasn't come to the swim barbecue. But it was just this. It's like, you know, go out when you see it's raining, look up. That little uh, background that you saw behind that last song Paul did, you saw the rain, and then right there in the middle, there was this little light 
And I feel like that's the light of hope. It's the hope that we see when we look up and know that God's in control of everything. So that's my little segue. How was that? Is that all right? Okay, good. All right. You don't need it. No. It's, thank you, but it's all right. Fruit snacks for you. Here you go. Okay. All right. Um, so Dan, uh, Dan Morris, one of our elders, is going to come up and talk to you for a bit about his story. And then um, we'll get back into this. Oh, I, get out your Kleenex box. It's somewhere near your chair. I hear you might need it right now. Oh, man. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, being asked to share a, a brief bio of myself, you know, speaking in front of people is, can be a little nerve-wracking, you know. And you imagine uh, maybe this past week there was a little bit of stress in my life. Um, good stuff, but still stressful. Um, and so, you know, I thought what I can do is I can share the facts about my life and, and kind of maintain a hold on emotions and, and, and feel good leaving the place today, you know. But I don't think we serve a God um, that's that small. You know, we serve a God who's worthy of, you know, me getting up here and, and showing some emotion, feeling a little humili- humiliated, um, but for his glory. Because the story I'm going to share with you is hard a little bit, um, but it's also wonderful. So bear with me, uh, give me a smile, and uh, we'll get through it. All right, so I'm also going to get down here and walk because that is a little easier for me, too. Um, so uh, I'll start with the facts. That'll be easy. Uh, I'm currently an engineer at uh, CH2M Hill here in Corvallis. Uh, so kind of surprising, I guess, knowing our congregation that somebody's an engineer. But uh, <laughs> I, I went to school at George Fox University. Any Bruins in the crowd or people that have, all right, yeah, go Bruins. Yeah. I also went to OSU, so I'm also a beaver, go beaves. So... Um, uh, I first, yeah, heard another woohoo. All right. So I first set foot in Northwest Hills in 1999. I know the people that have been here that long are like, really? I didn't see you. Well, it's because I kind of snuck in the back door a little late and left early. And, and that was my lifestyle as a single college student. Um, but I, did, I was here. I remember hearing Mark preach. I remember when Andy uh, showed up. Uh, but really, my life here at Northwest Hills started when I, in 2002 when I got married to Natalie, who was at the first service, so she's not here. Um, and that's where we decided Northwest Hills was a body that we belonged in, that we needed to plug in. And so that's when my life here started as like a regular weekly occurrence. Um, I also have a daughter who's six months old, who is the source of my emotion uh, talking for you today. Um, we uh, finalized our adoption earlier this year, and uh, she's an incredible blessing from God. So, um, And the reason I think that I bring this up is not just to tell you about drama in my life, but to tell you about the church body here who is a blessing to me through God, through the relationships, through service with people here every day, through service with people in leadership, through service cleaning up the grounds, you know, everything. Um, it's a blessing to us. It has been a blessing to us through that process. And um, so, yeah, that's now you know the big stuff. Um, so one of the questions that Tom wanted us to address, just so you get to know your elders better, is, uh, uh, which kind of sounds funny, I'll admit. I'm 33 years old, for a lot of you who probably have that question in your mind. So, uh, I grew up in a strong Christian family, a, a home where uh, my mom and dad served God uh, full-time with, uh, with their non-professional time. So my dad 
I worked for HP, but served as an elder in, in our church. My mom was a music teacher, uh, but also served in committees and uh, on music for um, our church. Uh, as a young child, I came to Christ. really don't have memories of my life without Christ, um, and I'm, I'm thankful for that. Uh, when I was about 12 years old, I went to a, what was basically a summer camp that was tailored to uh, teaching young kids about Christ, not just the facts, not the theology, but about how to feed yourself, how to learn from the Bible, how to pray. And that's really where my faith became my own. And so even though I identified as a Christian before that, I think that's really where God began to move me into kind of a a mature Christian life. So uh, another question, maybe, uh, what made you want to be a leader? Um, And I think really what I saw was as I came to Northwest Sales, as I served uh, with uh, people in ministry uh, at like interaction groups for young marrieds, as I served as like life groups, which was the thing uh, that came after Bible studies, but before community groups, but you know, very similar. Uh, and as I served there, I realized what a blessing it was to be in community with people. And that's what God wants for everyone here, uh, wherever you're at in life, um, be part of our family here. Um, and also, uh, I, about five years ago, served in the uh, leadership development course, which I'll be honest, when I first heard that or was invited to take part in that, I thought, well, it's a little, sounds a little corny even. Um, but it's really, it was a life-changing event for me because it taught me not just theology, which I was fairly sound in, but it taught me really a passion and transmitted that passion for God's church um, to serve. And It's not for... Um, any kind of good reasons, but reasons that are incomplete, like, oh, people need it, or it's a good thing to do. But it's really to glorify God through incorporating everyone here into his body. And so that, that's really where my life kind of took a turn. Um, and I do briefly want to, you know, we're talking about influence and people that have influenced our lives. And most of the people, apparently, that influenced my life here in Northwest Hills are um, first service people. So... <laughs> I got to point them out and say thanks, uh, first service. But I did see Andy Carpless over here. I know I've served with Andy and Lynx, and he's been a great influence in my life. Um, but I'll go ahead and read off some other names of people that you probably know. Uh, Steve and Lori Binney, they served with Young Marrieds uh, with us. Uh, Phil and Sharon Dowd, who also served uh, in Young Marrieds. Um, the Lynx class that I talked about. Um, Chris Soward, who... I know he was here earlier, um, and, uh, and John Reese. Uh, I don't see him. I think he was first service. And also the leadership development course, uh, which was, really was kicked off by Sean Penn and Don Snow, um, but also uh, facilitators for that course that really made a difference in my life. Uh, Glade DeVinney, I didn't see him either service. He might be gone this week. Uh, and Jess Hickerson. So I'm, I'm indebted to all those people, and uh, Natalie and I are indebted to all of you for um, – just the environment, support, encouragement, um, and uh, joy to serve with you people. So those are all uh, the major things um, I did. Before I go, I want to ask how many people did or remember to do the uh, homework from last week. Tom's right there. He's watching you, so you better raise your hand. Not many people. That's all right. First service was about the same way. But his homework was what ifs. Like what if God had not intervened in your life? And I know uh, Tom shared uh, personally uh, what God did in his life and how he intervened and changed his life. Um, and really, I guess my answer to that is the people here, all of the people here. Um, 
that were willing to serve, willing to um, support us. I warned you. Uh, to make a difference in our life. Um, not a difference of I feel better because, but because people were kind or anything as trite as that. Um, but a real substantive difference um, when we went through some pretty uh, rough steps. So what if, you know, this church hadn't been this church? What, what if there weren't people serving? Uh, what if there weren't people willing to be involved in our own lives? Um, yeah, I probably wouldn't be here today. Um, I don't know where I'd be. Um, but, uh, yeah, just know that this church has made a difference. I'm grateful for everyone who served and has been part of this church. And I'm grateful also for Andy and the, and the difference he's made in this church. So uh, thank you all very much. Um, and, yeah, that's it. I'm going to read you all those books this morning. If I run out of things to say. Uh, um, so let me um, talk about influence just for a minute. I'm going to give you a review if you haven't been here for the last two weeks, just in a few sentences. Part one, um, influence is about who you know. Uh, there was two categories. The first one was um, knowing God um, or knowing Jesus as God. His life introduced us to what God was like and what he believed that we could do as we followed him and as he went back to be with the Father. His life was a model of how to live and serve others. And then the other group is um, people that you know, maybe not well, but I called it your circle of opportunity, which included your family, your neighbors, your friends, your coworkers, maybe team members, fellow church goers, the banker, the store clerk, the mechanic, the waitress at the places that you frequent, the homeless guy that you walk by every day, possibly. These people, I'm going to say, are in your circle of opportunity. And if you decide that you want to make a difference in the lives of any of them, they enter your circle of influence. So, for example, let's say some of these you're like, what? Waitress? Yeah. If you go to the same place every week, like some of us that work on staff do here, because it's really close and the food's awesome, they're not open on Sundays, um, sorry, um, you, you are known potentially by the tips that you give and the way that you treat um, the help. And so I think there's several of us on staff right now that are actually building relationships with um, some people that work at this restaurant that I'm speaking of. And that could be you. And that becomes your circle of influence. Um, so part two, it was about where you've been. This was last week. And it's really about remembering your story. So I told you kind of the highlights and the lowlights of my story up to this point. And I asked you to work on that as well. And I actually closed my eyes when Dan asked you, so don't feel guilty. If you didn't raise your hand and say you did that, I expect it by 1 o'clock today. Um, but, but I know at least you'll think about it. And, and that story included thinking about where you've been, your ups and your downs, how you came to faith in God through Jesus, how and when God has interceded in your life in different places, and what were the results of that, and who he has placed in your life to influence you. Um, and that's kind of where we left off. And what I want to say about that is, 
you know, I gave you the whole story, a bigger picture. But as you get into relationships with people, you don't have to sit them down and tell them that whole story. I did it as fast as I could, and a few of you fell asleep. But um, the, the idea is to remember where you were at different times in your life. And as you do some of the things that I suggest today with people that maybe don't yet have a relationship with Jesus, you'll connect with them way more than you think. I'm going to show you in a couple of ways how that works today. Uh, I'm going to start um, this morning with a story uh, of a young guy. In just a moment, let me pray and we'll jump in. God, thank you for what you've done for us, um, for Dan, as he's talked about this story. Uh, I imagine that all of us sitting out here today have had um, influences in our life. And sometimes we just have to think back and, and be grateful to you for putting those people in our lives. And, and then to thank those people for uh, the tireless work that they did um, to connect with us, to have relationships with us, and then to influence us um, towards you and toward uh, uh, good things. Um, God, today we're going we're gonna to be looking at other people. And I pray for us today that um, for those of us that struggle with the actions of people outside the faith, um, that you would give us a new perspective on how important we can be in the lives of those people that are in our circle of opportunity um, today, and that you would um, maybe knock down some walls for us today um, that have kept us from, from being an influence in the lives of others. And most of all, that you would show us how important each one of our individual lives is to your purpose. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so um, here's a picture. I'm going to tell you about this kid, Craig, in the picture. He's wearing the striped shirt there. Um, this is about what he looked like when I met him. Uh, probably 12 years old, um, eighth grade. And um, I have mentioned him before, but uh, I was telling you about him the other day. And when he was in eighth grade, he visited our youth group. The particular night that I'm thinking of, he brought along some of his favorite music, which was on a cassette. And I felt that it was highly inappropriate in our context, not to, to have a cassette, but to, to have this particular um, uh, music in our in our youth group and he was showing it around to people and it was a group that was popular a popular rock group in the 80s uh, end of the 80s um, but as he participated in the activities I had already confiscated it from him uh, and he was already upset with me and I started reading through the lyrics and I would describe what I read um, that this music was laced with lyr- lyrical pornography in the songs in other words if you could picture what the words were saying you'd be looking at pornography I confiscated I asked him if he really wanted it back. He needed to send his dad in to get it after the meeting that night. So he left, and his dad came in. His dad walked up to me, stood toe-to-toe with me, and said, I want that cassette back now. And I go, oh, I'm glad you came because I want to tell you. And he goes, I want the cassette now. Just hand it to me. But there's, hand me the cassette. And he grabbed it, and he walked out. And uh, I had a great opinion that I wanted to share with him, and He didn't want to hear it. Um, He was mad at me, too. And so what I learned that night is that I didn't have a relationship with Craig. I just judged him, and he got mad, and he left, and uh, the opportunity was gone. So um, something I needed to learn then that that sometimes takes time to get it through um, my thick head or our thick heads was was what I began to read as I studied um, Paul's writings to the Corinthian church. And so if you want to jot these down, I'm going to summarize some things he said in 1 Corinthians 5 and 6. Paul says uh, he's he's sharing the situation about, uh, you know, uh, an incident in their church where 
um, a guy who called himself a brother was um, having an affair with probably his stepmother, if I read it right. And um, nobody was doing anything about it. They were just letting it happen. And um, as Paul began to try to correct the behavior in the church, he said, when I wrote you before, I told you not to associate with people who indulge in sexual sin. But I wasn't talking about unbelievers. I wasn't talking about unbelievers who indulge in sexual sin or are greedy or cheat people or worship idols. You would have to leave the world to avoid people like that. Okay, that should be a really strong message right there. You can't avoid sinners in the world. Paul was not telling them to avoid sinners. So what was he saying? He, he adds in verse 12, um, it isn't my responsibility to judge outsiders, meaning people outside the faith. And then in 13, he adds, God will judge those on the outside. But some of us have become really good at that because we want to help God out, right? Um, judging people outside the faith or anybody for that matter. Uh, over in chapter 6, verses 9 through 11, he says, Don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Okay. Don't fool yourselves. Those who are involved, and then he lists all these sins again, none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. So if you just stop right there, you're like, okay, so what am I supposed to do with this? Just need to think about yourself, really, because here's the next line. Some of you were once like that, but you were cleansed, you were made holy, you were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. I hope that makes sense to you, and if it didn't, go back and read that over and over and think about how you view other people. And I want to say there's a whole bunch of people in your circle of opportunity that fit that description, and maybe many of us have written them off and said, no, that person would never be interested in what I have. And so we'll talk about that. Um, I had to remember where I came from. Back to my story with Craig. I had to remember where I came from. I had to remember that his upbringing was different than mine and that I really needed to have a relationship with Craig if I was going to be able to influence him instead of just making a snap judgment. Um, in Romans 8, 7, and 8, then I read this. For the sinful nature is always hostile to God. It, the sinful nature, it never did obey God's laws and it never will. That's why those who are still under the control of their sinful nature can never please God. So there's many people in our lives who make it a practice to sin. And let's just call it what it is. Because they're under the control of the sinful nature, according to Paul in Romans. Some of us would call these people lost. And so let me describe that. They were created by God and they were loved by God. But along the way, they become separated from God and they can't find their way back to him. So they're lost. Uh, when Jesus showed up and began working with uh, his followers, these disciples, he said, and he referred to himself as the Son of Man, for the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. So let me give you another picture, um, a picture of lostness, and let's talk of it in terms of driving, because maybe we've all been there at some point. Um, I got three categories of people that are lost while they're driving. The first one is they're lost and they're caught up in the scenery. 
So they don't really know they're lost. They're just enjoying the view. And at some point, when it starts getting dark, they realize they're lost. The second category is people who, I should say this category probably fits a lot of men in here, before I say it. Now, uh, they know they're lost, but they're trying to find their own way. Because there's no way they're going to stop and ask anybody for directions. Um, The third category is people that know they're lost, and they know they need help, and they stop and ask for help. So, in light of that picture, um, this verse has always stuck with me. It's Romans 5, approximately 6 through 10. And it says, When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. Our friendship with with God was restored by the death of his son while we were still his enemies. And we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends with God. So for all of us in all of our stories This is a place before we were born that God intervened in our lives. It's got to be part of your story when you come to realize it. So thinking about what God has done through Christ for us, thinking about people in our lives that we might call lost just because they're trying to figure out what's up. um, We ask the question, I hope, how can we help? How can we be an influence on this group of people? Um, Jesus said in Matthew 20, as he was talking to, I'm changing the name to trainees now. Disciples sounds a little bit too lofty for these guys at the beginning. Um, they, they wanted to follow and they wanted to lead. And Jesus says to them, among you, it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must first become your servant or for, must first be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must become your slave for even the son of man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. So Jesus is trying to teach his trainees that they need to serve other people. It's not about who gets to sit next to me. It's about who you get to help and who you get to serve. To serve others, it's going to take time, effort, unselfishness, and sacrifice. And it really helps If you're doing those things in the context of a relationship, not a judge. Um, So there's a new book, uh, Tim, you you have showed me this week. It's called The Go-Giver. It's a business book about how to be successful in relationships with people in business. The idea it presents is to be successful, we should take an interest in others. We should put their interests first. We should continually add value to their lives. And we keep giving and challenging as long as... As they show interest and we never quit. That sounds pretty good to me. Um, That's part of the lesson that I've continued to learn. But it's interesting that the author claims that this principle just comes from an old proverb, which I actually found in Acts 20, 35, where Luke is quoting Jesus saying, it's better to give than to receive. What would it look like if God quit on you? So many times what we do is we give for a while, and when the person we're giving to loses interest, we quit, don't we? That essentially makes our interaction with that person a project, not a relationship. So as I was reading about 
Um, in this other book this week called I Once Was Lost, sound like a good book for this message, um, the author presented what he called five thresholds. And the place we are in that continuum that I showed you last week, which was uh, skeptic, seeker, follower, leader, world changer, is we're today between seeker and follower. Okay, And we're talking about, for those of us who are followers, having an opportunity to influence anybody in between. We don't have to know a lot, but to begin to influence the people that are behind us on that continuum jumps us right up to leader and world changer. The first time you enter that relationship and start this conversation and start to influence that person, you're moving right up the line. And so here's uh, what this author says are five thresholds that we must cross with people to understand how to best help them get from skeptic to follower. Um, And so if you were paying attention the last couple of weeks, some of these will sound familiar. But the first threshold, by the way, you'll see how slow this process is. It's not like I meet you today, I influence you tomorrow, you're following Christ. Every once in a while that happens. Uh, This is about the the process that's really practically happening in, in lives of people. First one is to cross the threshold from distrust to trust. And as I might have said briefly, it's about somebody who's a skeptic learning to trust in a person who is a committed follower of Jesus. Okay? And and that in itself is probably going to take a while, depending on their background and their experience. Uh, The second threshold is from complacent to curious. In other words, a person could trust a follower of Christ, but show no interest in Jesus. He just likes having the friendship with you. So the third threshold is for that person to become uh, from going from closed to change to open to change. And this is where they had information, but no desire for transformation. And that's the next threshold is to say, oh, this could work in me. Uh, The fourth threshold is from meandering to seeking. And so you have a curious and open person who's not actively seeking out a relationship with Christ. And that's the next threshold. And and this is probably going to be a stall for a lot of people for a while. And then that final threshold is the one we were waiting for at the beginning was that people actually cross into the kingdom of God, which comes from repenting, uh, believing in Jesus and giving their life to God. Um, So having a relationship with people... Um, not just an acquaintance, helps us to know them and then know how to best serve them. And we'll know how to best serve them if we put these following things in a toolbox. Okay, so I'm going to give you a whole bunch of words. They're like tools. They go in your toolbox. If you use these things in the context of your opportunity to influence and of building a relationship, um, these will help you along the way. Uh, Maybe this is obvious. Care and befriend. Um, And then these next three our four actually go together, and it's ask, listen, empathize, and then serve. Ask, listen, empathize, and serve. When you ask and they talk, you listen instead of talking more. And when you find out what they have to say, then you begin to empathize with them. And then this is the next two tools, patience and time. Um, and then the second tier of tools is pray, learn, affirm the good, Welcome and bond. I'll say those one more time. Pray, learn, affirm the good, welcome and bond. Even people that you think would never be interested in a relationship with Jesus have good things going on in their lives that they do. Maybe they're a good parent. 
Um, you know, maybe they're a good friend. Maybe they're a loyal friend. Maybe they work hard and never cheat. Whatever it is, there's tons of people in the world that have awesome qualities. And as we begin to notice those and point them out and then it deepens the friendship and it helps us to bond with them. Now, let me just mention five tools that need to go away. If you've got these in your toolbox, you need to take them out. Don't sell them in a garage sale. Just throw them in the garbage. Okay. And I, you know, some of you might not agree with me on these, but I just hopefully you'll listen and then I'll tell you why. The first tool you need to get rid of is defensiveness. And, and you'll hear this phrase twice. You can win the battle and lose the war. If someone comes at you and starts attacking your faith and you start defending it, well, good for you. You know all the information that you believe. But the goal isn't to win the argument and scare the people off. The goal is to bring them in. Uh, the second one is the tool that you need to throw away is, is to be bruised. And this happens again. Someone comes to you, they offend you, and you go, ouch, how could you talk about my faith or God like that? And you just kind of, you don't want to get hurt anymore, so you just back away. And the third one is an extreme example of that, and it's to avoid. You just go, I can't be around that person. You know, I'm trying to get them somewhere. They're just not seeing it. You know, I told you in our old church back in the day, if a kid came in in shorts or a ball cap, they were told first thing is, don't you know how to dress in church? You know, and and they just avoided us at that point. Um, But we're waiting. Like one guy came up and he goes, okay, it's great. You've been here 10 years. You know, it was 17 altogether. You've been here 10 years. It's great work you're doing with these street kids in the neighborhood. He said, but when are they going to start dressing up for church and singing the hymns like they should? Um, sometimes we just start avoiding them. That's when we got to get rid of. The next one is judge. I'm kind of obvious there. And the last one is arguing, which is a lot like uh, defending. Arguing is just, no, you're not. No, I'm right. You're not. It's just arguing with no point. And again, you lose the, you can win the battle, win the argument, lose the war. So there's some tools that need to go away. And actually you'll find um, Paul and Peter both comment on that idea in Colossians 4, 5, and 6 and 1 Peter 3, 15. We're just talking about being ready, having an answer for those who are questioning what it is about you that's different and giving them that answer. It's answering their questions with with. Uh, graciousness and with respect and with patience. Um, You'll see those in those two verses. So as Jesus goes on to try to train his people as they go out in the world, he says to them two things. In Matthew 5, he says, you are the salt of the earth. Um, Maybe you can't lead the people to water and make them drink, but you can make people thirsty. Um, The second thing he says is you are the light of the world, not you're becoming light of the world. You are the light of the world. If you're following me around and letting people know that you're a follower, then you are the light that they see. So like a city on a hill that cannot be hidden, like a lamp on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. Let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly father. So Jesus says, be salt and be light. And one of the ways you can do that is by using the story that you're going to write this week. Um, I know at least one person in the room that did the assignment because I had his story in my hands this morning. And I'm actually, since he did a good job and did the homework, I'm going to have him come up and and share it with you in just a minute. We're almost there. Um, So I need to use my story. and, And again, not maybe all of it at once, but you're going to hear a story about someone who, you know, maybe you know this person. And, and you're not going to believe who he was and who he is now. 
And, and that's the point today is don't discount anybody and say, no, not them. Never. They would never be interested. Um, so as you uh, build relationships with people and you begin to enter into talking about your story and your history um, and your understanding of where God's story intersected with yours. And, and let me tell you, like I said already, it, God's story intersected with yours before you were born. When Jesus died on the cross while we were still sinners, because that was already going to happen. And you know it as well as I do. And then how it began to change your life. Now, there's parts of your story that as you ask and listen and empathize with people, you'll go, you know, I've never told anybody this because I'm afraid of what they'll think of me. But I think I should share it with this person because they like me and they're my friend. And maybe they're going to see, hey, you could change, too. And that's pretty much what happens. So um, use your story, understanding of God's story and his purpose for people to influence people towards Jesus. And that takes time, patience, understanding and caring that comes out of relationship. So I'm going to bring um, Kevin Higgins up for a minute and have him uh, share his story with you. And let me just tell you, he's going out on a limb. He already told me that, said he didn't want to do it. And then he said, I do want to do it. And I said, I don't have time for it. And then I called him up here without warning. So uh, let me just tell you, so I'll let him off the hook. He wrote this, not me. Okay. So, you know, he's going to probably read it and then he's going to burst into tears about halfway through actually he didn't but i did so i'm just trying to get some help okay you want to read it no you got it um i met kevin years ago uh, 13 years ago no i haven't been here that long whenever you got about nine years ago i met kevin you've been here for 13 years and um he shared an important part of his family with us his cow named larry and um and fed us for a few months when we first got here and, and uh, kevin and i have gotten to know each other i love hanging out with him and um, I heard this before, but I wanted him to think about it in terms of what we've been talking about and then share it with you today. So, uh, you know, we, we're going to I'll just tell you right now, we're going to go a little bit long because I'm doing this. And as people came out first hour, I said, what do you think? You know, Kevin was last minute. Should I leave it in there? They go, he should talk and not you. So, OK, so here we go. I don't, I don't know about that. I'm not much of a speaker, but. Well, so I'll read. Try to stay on track here and read this. So, as you said, I'm Kevin Higgins. Um, I grew up in a non-religious but very loving home. Um, my parents showed me love and had strong values. Everything seemed to be wonderful and magical. Um, as far as church, though, uh, both my parents had, had sorry both my parents had been raised in Utah, deep in the Mormon country, um, and my great grandfather had been best friends with Brigham Young when they came over from New York. Um, uh, during their first college years, my dad became a leader in the Mormon church. And the more he studied the, the, uh, the Mormon religion, the more troubled he became and challenged some of their core teachings. My folks ended up leaving the church and, and uh, were completely ostracized by all their friends. Uh, we never went to church. Uh, and, um, and, but if you ever see my parents here, it'll be just to support their grandkids um, and they'll be watching to see how you treat them. Um, when I was in high school, my brother became, uh, began showing strong signs of uh, schizophrenia, and my family life was radically disoriented, and looking back, I was very angry and confused. My parents um, had their hands full, and I didn't help matters any. I hated being home and began to rebel pretty hard. By the time I was 16, I moved out, um, I worked full-time 
and finished my high school at Crescent Valley. Uh, moving out only helped me fall harder. I started drinking very hard, smoking, doing drugs, getting in fights, saluting the police, selling drugs, having sex, vandalizing, um, being careless and reckless. I lived a sleazy. I lived in a sleazy apartment, did sleazy things, and uh, was generally known as a nice guy that partied hard, but was kind of a sleaze. Um, in high school, I dated a Sandy Am Christian girl. Um, uh, that went to church with, uh, she went to church with her family. Once in a while, I would go with them. Her parents were very kind to me, but I only went to be with my girlfriend. Um, later in high school, I, I had a close female friend um, that said I needed to change my ways and, and needed to get to know Jesus, and that if I continued in my current path, I would not live to be very old or I would end up in prison. I again didn't really do anything with that, but probably. Uh, a seed was planted. Uh, just after high school, um, there was a time when I was selling drug, drugs in California, in Garadelli Square, and then in the Tenderloin uh, of San Francisco. Um, and when a deal went bad on me, I fought back, uh, leaving a fellow that tried to roll me in the, uh, in the Tenderloin, laying on the sidewalk, bleeding from his internal injuries that I had caused. Uh, deep inside, I had, I had this rage that, that would come out. And I thought it made me stronger. By the time I was 19 or 20, I had violated all ten commandments. Um, I was more or less what the church people would call a scumbag, and I didn't need anybody. Um, I had lots of girlfriends all the time, but uh, one of them didn't see me for what I looked like on the outside. Uh, She had been raised in a Christian home and was trying to do the right thing in life. We stumbled in the beginning, but she believed in me and could see through my tough act. Uh, she asked me if I would go through or go to church with her, and I did. And over the next few months, it became almost a regular thing. She said she wouldn't date a non-Christian and hated the cigarette smoke. Um, uh, I worked on giving that up, and it took a while, but I did. Uh, I also gave up the drugs, the drinking, causing troubles uh, that were all at once an everyday part of my life. Uh, spent more time with her, her family, and her friends. I wanted what they had, and I ended up giving my life to Jesus when I was 20. Over the next few years, we became youth group leaders at a small community church, and uh, we were able to help many young people with some of their questions and struggles. Because of my past, uh, we were not afraid to openly sh- they were not afraid to openly share their lives. Over the next 25 years, I continued to grow as a Christian, um, got a good-paying corporate job, started serving in the sheriff's department. I was a volunteer. Um, Wayne Roberts was one of the guys there, um, and he went to this church. He was a strong man and still gives the best hugs. Um, he's not here anymore. He's at another church, but um, many of you may know him. Uh, uh, he was my mentor as a young married man. In 1991, we started coming to Northwest Hills, and here was Wayne Roberts. I also remember the guy at the door that would give great, uh, would greet us with a great smile, Steve Benny. Uh, we ended up in a weekly Bible study at their house, and this church is, is, has some great people, and, and I continue to grow here. Over the years, I've watched and seen how many amazing men are in this church. They serve faithfully and humbly. Phil Dowd and Don Snow and Tom, they all check up on, uh, uh, up on me from time to time and ask how I'm doing with 
with genuine concern and pray for me. I have now been in the fire department as a volunteer for 13 years also. Um, I've worked my way as a, up to a captain. Uh, the past few years, my son Levi has been serving at the fire department alongside me. What an honor it is to see him at 16 so different than I was at his age. Levi is very discerning, and he looks at the guys around him to see what they're, uh, and sees their heart. Still blows me away what God can do in just one generation. So um, here's why Kevin's story fits so well today um, and, and a big point that you should be getting that it just takes one person to be an influence on one other person. Uh, these went by pretty fast, so I've got to read you two lines from here. He said, I had a lot of girlfriends, but one of them didn't see me for what I looked like on the outside. One of them saw something in Kevin. Um, he gave his life to Jesus at 20, and then after all you heard, his final line, it still blows me away what God can do in just one generation. So, you know, it doesn't take that long to change. Uh, thanks for being willing just to come up here and share. Thank you. Um, yeah, that's good. I got it. Thank you, Kevin. Uh, so i got to go back to the story of Craig Gross here just to close this up. Um, and here's, I told you that Craig got mad and left, um, and he didn't return till his sophomore year. Um, I had learned some things in that year that he was gone, and mainly it was like this book said, and like we've heard uh, in this story, is don't give up on anyone. So here's how things turned out. Actually, um, it was interesting as I was putting this together, and I was thinking about Craig. Um, on Monday, he was on TV. I'm going to end with that clip in a minute. Um, and on Tuesday, um, his latest book of, um, this is seven for him now, um, came out. It's called Open, What Happens When You Get Real, Get Honest, and, and Get Accountable. And I opened up this book on Tuesday. I didn't actually know it existed. And uh, I thought someone switched books on me. Sorry. There's my name in it. Chapter one. Oh, yeah, here it is. My Road to Accountability. This is Craig, the kid that I took his cassette tape away. Oh, yeah, there he is. Um, My own experience with accountability started in my teenage years, the summer after my sophomore year in high school, when my youth pastor sought me out and asked me if I wanted to start meeting with McDonald's before school on Wednesday. I initially balked at the 6 o'clock a.m. meeting time, because any time before noon is early for an adolescent male. But after thinking it through, I began to see how this could be beneficial for me and agreed. Um, See, as an outgoing, fun-loving fellow, I had plenty of friends at the time, but they were just pals and acquaintances, the type of guys I could talk to about girls or go see a movie with or just hang out, Uh, do all those normal teenage shenanigans with. What I was lacking was a person I could really open up to, but not only that, I was also lacking the ability to open up. I didn't know how or even how to go about doing it, and sometimes I didn't even know I needed to do it. Uh, Then Tom came along with this opportunity to start meeting, and I took him up on his offer. Not long after that, we started our weekly meetings under the Golden Arches. Finally, at long last, I had a person in my life I felt I could share real stuff with, stuff about my faith, about my doubts and fears, about my dreams for life, and what those looked like, about the struggles and temptations 
I had as I stepped into adulthood and how well or poorly I wrestled with those struggles and temptation. Even better, though, was that I now had the opportunity to listen as Tom shared with me some of the challenges he had in his own life. Maybe it sounds weird, but I didn't feel like he was unloading on me or using me as an ear to vent to. He was just trusting me with a small part of his inner world, a part that I was old enough and mature enough to hear about. He was showing me the flip side of accountability. It's not all about talking. It's just as much about listening. There I was, a teenage kid, and awed and amazed by Tom's ability to listen to me as I poured out my heart and his willingness to share a little bit of his heart with me. I couldn't believe it. I had mistakenly thought adults had it all together. You can imagine the paradigm shift I underwent the first time I heard Tom talk about some of the challenges he faced in his own life. Here was a guy who had progressed much further in life than I had, who had his career and life planned and figured out, and he still had struggles. It was liberating. Uh, Tom and I continued to meet together one-on-one through my junior year. The following summer, we added my friend Jake. And I'll skip down to his senior year. Um, Tom and I began uh, this mentoring group with Jake and me and how to keep each other accountable. He taught us what accountability would look like. He taught us about treating each other's struggles with love and respect and grace He taught us that accountability is not about sitting across from someone as a judge, but about sitting next to him as an advocate. And you know what? It worked. Jake and I graduated, went on to college. We became roommates. We got into ministry together. Uh, We met a couple of girls, fell in love with them, and then married them and started our own families. Tom was in both our wedding parties. And now 20 years later, Jake and I are still doing this, still hanging out once a week on the phone and getting into each other's worlds. We've been at it for 20 years, and our lives have been irrevocably changed for the better because of it. Accountability is not easy. It doesn't come naturally, but in the long run, it's incredibly necessary. And when you do it right, it's nothing but good. That's chapter one of um, his latest book called Open. And it's interesting. His first book was called The Gutter, where life is meant to be lived. His third book was Jesus Loves You, This I Know. And now his latest is Open. And You can kind of see a pattern in his life. Here's a guy who I judged and chased out the door. I got a second chance, turned it around. We began a relationship. And and now Craig is doing things way beyond what I would ever do. Craig is out there reaching out to the people that most Christians have just written off. And uh, that was amazing when I turned on the TV Sunday morning. Um... Uh, This is what Craig is doing now. A lot of pictures of him along the way. He's uh, sharing Jesus' love, combating porn, rescuing people in the sex industry through his organization, Triple X Church, living in Las Vegas, writing books. And um, again, he's going after these people that many Christians have rejected. So uh, this was Monday morning. Uh, You got to see this. It's excerpts from a show called The View. Jenna Presley. Please welcome Brittany Ruiz and Pastor Craig Gross. Thank you so much for being here. So, Brittany, I want to start with you. Uh, You started doing porn films as soon as you turned 18 years old. Why did you get into it? You know, it was, um, I was searching for love in all the wrong places. I came from a childhood that just wasn't the greatest. I was the unfavored. In the beginning, I felt 
beautiful. Like I, I felt like I had found my self-worth. And after a while, I felt destroyed, hopeless. I felt helpless. I tried to commit suicide several times. I was miserable. I know that your grandmother had tried to get you to go to church and try to convince you to change your lifestyle, but it was actually the pastor here who convinced you to do so. So how did you, how did you find Brittany and how did you convince her to change her life? Yeah, and, for, and first of all, I mean, it's it's kind of a tribute to our team. Um, I have a great uh, w women on staff, one, one gal that met Brittany named Rachel Collins, who uh, we go to them. Our, our church uh, shows up at all the largest adult expos in the country, from New Jersey to Australia to California. So I mean, we'd seen Brittany for seven years at these shows. And it was just a matter of, of, of time where we would send somebody like Rachel that would just brighten up her day at the show, that would talk to her, give her a T-shirt that says Jesus loves porn stars, uh, gave her a Bible. And so, uh, you know, it really wasn't me. It was just, you know, I set a lot of that up, but it was just a team of our women that just cared and loved her and told her she was loved and valued. What the church, you know, kind of has this idea that we're going to go where Jesus would go and we're going to go to where people are at, not just in the industry, but people that are struggling with porn as well. It's the same conflict. Why do you target porn? You know, I was a youth pastor, and so I, I didn't see a bigger issue facing this generation than this uh, topic of sex and, and pornography. So we thought, uh, nobody else was talking about this. This was 11 years ago that we would go after it. You know, and Brittany, you now work in sales. You yeah. work in sales and you work alongside Craig because you try to talk to other women who are involved in the porn industry on, you know, coming out of that. Right. Are there times when you, you go through times in your life where you go, I, I want to go back. I kind of miss it. No, absolutely not. I've encountered the love of God, and through encountering His love, I know my self-worth. Like, I love myself, I respect myself, and I found that void. The void that I was searching for was found in Jesus, and I could never go back. I hope they didn't bleep that out. <laughs> no. All right, well, Brittany and Craig, we wish you all the best. We thank you for being here today. Congratulations to you for turning your life around. So um, there's probably other people in our audience today who um, were considered unreachable, but here they are uh, because they weren't. And the most important thing today is you as an individual one on one can influence others through your relationships in your circle of opportunity with the gospel of Jesus and a few tools which I've given you today. Let's have the worship team come up and uh, we have a time of communion and whatnot coming up. I'll talk about that in just a second. But here, here's the closing words in a few short sentences. Go serve, share your story, listen to theirs, share God's love, and don't give up. Um, today, as we have the opportunity to um, celebrate what Jesus has done for us through um, the communion, the Lord's Supper, uh, maybe that's a focus for you today, is what has God been doing in your life to get you to this point? And, and out of gratitude, then he's asked us just to remember him and what he did on the cross uh, by the cup, which or the cup which represents his blood, and and the broken bread, which represents his broken body given for us. You have an opportunity to give back, to support the work of the church, uh, to give God your gratitude, um, to worship him in song. And um, thanks for hanging in there with us today.